Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Turn on the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not one of the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired the Apostle John to write down this account of our Lord's revealing himself to Thomas and helping Thomas to believe that Jesus is alive. And we ask now, Lord, that your same Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, enabling us to have a deep and lasting faith in our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. For 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, our Lord showed himself alive to various groups of people, to individuals, in different times, in different situations, and in different places. The reason why Jesus did this, revealing himself alive, was because Jesus wants us to know that he is alive, that this good news about the resurrection really is true. And one of the reasons why he did it over a period of 40 days is to prepare us to be witnesses of his resurrection. As you remember, the number 40 is used in the Bible to signify a time of preparation. Now, when Jesus appeared at first to his disciples early on Easter Sunday, Thomas was not with them. And so Thomas did not experience seeing Jesus come into this room where they had been hiding, walking through closed doors. The disciples were hiding out probably in the upper room where they had celebrated the Last Supper with Jesus just a few days earlier. And they were gathered together in this room wondering if they would be next, if they were on the list of those to be crucified. They were wondering when the Romans or the Jewish leaders were going to come after them. They were probably also wondering what life was going to be like for them now without their best friend, their Lord, their mentor, their rabbi, their teacher. 
And they were probably wondering, so what do we do next? Do we just hang out in Jerusalem? Or do we go back home to the jobs we had before Jesus called us to be his disciples? Fishermen, tax collectors, and so on. And then into the room comes Jesus. And he says, peace be with you. Now, in addition to all that they were struggling to understand and figure out, they had to deal with, what was it? Jesus' ghost? And Jesus says, touch my hands. Feel the nail prints. Put your hands in my side. See that I am solid. I'm not a ghost. Do you have something to eat? And they gave him some fish, and he ate it. Again, proving that he was not just some kind of a spirit who showed up. And then Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The word spirit in Greek is pneuma. The word spirit in Hebrew is ruach. Pneuma and ruach mean breath in addition to spirit. So Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit so that they would begin to understand from the scriptures that the Messiah was to come and to suffer and to die on the cross and then rise again from the dead. And all of the pieces of this puzzle started coming together for the disciples. But Thomas wasn't there. I don't, I don't know where he was. Maybe he decided to sleep in on Easter Sunday, or maybe he was at Starbucks getting coffee for the rest of the disciples. He got stuck in some long line. So after Jesus leaves, Thomas finally comes to the upper room, and they said, hey, we got some great news. Jesus really is alive. All that stuff that people have been talking about, the women who were at the tomb saying they saw him, it is really true. He was here. And Thomas responds, saying, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, all of the disciples were again in this upper room, and Thomas was with them. And in comes Jesus through locked doors, just as he did a week before. Jesus came to make a special appearance just for Thomas, because Jesus wanted Thomas to believe that he really is alive. And so Jesus says to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I imagine Thomas saying, uh-oh, he heard what I said last week. How did that happen? Am I in trouble? Well, wait a second. He knew that I had doubts. He knew what I said. And he still came to show himself to me. Even when I had doubts, Jesus came to me. And so Thomas Respond, saying, my Lord and my God. Thomas just didn't make an intellectual declaration. Well, yeah, okay, I can see that you're alive. Thomas placed his life in Jesus' hands. Calling him Lord means calling him the master, the ruler of his life. Calling him God 
means he understands that Jesus is a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one to be worshipped and glorified along with the Father and along with the Holy Spirit, one who is eternal, one who knows everything, who's omniscient, one who is all-loving, one who will be with him forever. Thomas was finally able to come to that conclusion. And Jesus responds, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Those of us who have not seen Jesus and believe that he is alive, are enab- or we have been enabled to experience this truth and believe this truth because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. The same Holy Spirit who enabled the disciples to understand how Jesus and his ministry and his life was proclaimed in the Old Testament hundreds of years ago. The Holy Spirit has convinced us 2,000 years later that Jesus really is alive. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. When we say that Jesus is Lord, that he is our master, our ruler, and the one who's in charge of our lives, when we say that Jesus is God and worship him and sing to him and pray to him, it's because of the work of this Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who enabled Thomas to understand and believe. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives that we are able to understand and believe who Jesus is. Jesus wants us to believe that he is alive. Jesus wants to deal with each and every doubt that we experience in life, just like he did with Thomas. We have not been left alone to figure this out on our own. About a month later, in Acts chapter 1, we find Thomas and the other disciples with Jesus. And Jesus says to them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now the Greek word for witness that's used in the original Greek translation of this passage is martyr. Martyr literally means witness. Martyr has become associated with those who witness to the resurrection and who end up dying as a result. But all of us who say that Jesus is alive, all of us who bear witness to Jesus alive in our own lives, whenever we do this, we are martyrs. We are witnesses. There are church historians who write about the lives of the apostles, those who lived near the time that the apostles lived. For example, Origen, who lived between 184 and 253 A.D., and Eusebius, who lived between 260 and 339 AD, wrote about Thomas. And in their writings, they say that Thomas went further in proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus than any other disciple did. Thomas went first to Parthia, which is located in the modern-day country of Iran, in 52 AD. Thomas sailed to Malabar on the west coast of India. And then in 72 AD, Thomas went to Madras 
in India. And then later on, Thomas ended up being killed, and he died as a martyr in Malapore, India. During Thomas's work in proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus and bearing witness to who Jesus is, many became followers of Jesus. Even those who belonged to the academic and priestly caste of Brahmins came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But eventually, Thomas was thrown into a pit, and one of the Brahmins threw a spear at Thomas, and that's how he was martyred. In the the 1300s, Marco Polo went on a journey, and that involved going through India. And as he was traveling through India, he met Christians who said that the reason why there was a church in India was because of the work of Thomas and how he was a witness of the resurrection. In the 1600s, when Portuguese explorers went to visit India, they met Christians at the Martoma Church in India. And they explained that the reason why there was a church in India was because of the witness of Thomas. Now, personally, I find a lot of comfort in Thomas's story because there have been times in my life when I have struggled with doubts. And as I've struggled with doubts, I've come to understand that there are basically two kinds of doubts. And both of them are very important doubts. There are emotional doubts and intellectual doubts. Intellectual doubts deal with questions such as, did Jesus really exist? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Was he really crucified and died on the cross? Are the scriptures believable? How do we know that we can trust what the Bible says about events in the Old Testament and events in the New Testament and so on? So these are intellectual doubts. Emotional doubts deal with questions such as, are my sins really forgiven? Does God really love me? Does God really remember me? Where is God while I'm going through this struggle in life? If God is all-loving and if God is all-powerful, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Intellectual doubts and emotional doubts are painful. And they even cause us to feel guilty for having these kinds of doubts. But we're not saved because we have all of the answers. We're not saved because of how smart we are. We are saved because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and because he rose again from the dead. I was visiting with somebody in the hospital years ago in a different community with a different church, and this person had been struggling with doubts his whole life. And now he was in his 80s, and he was about to die. So as we spent time together in the hospital, I said, have you been thinking about what's going to happen when you die? And he said, yeah, I would really like to go to heaven, but I just have too many questions, and I know that that's not a possibility. And I said, well, do you believe that there was a Jesus? And he said, yeah. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven? And he said, yeah. Do you believe that if you ask God to forgive you of all of your sins, you'll be able to go to heaven? And he said, yeah. And I said, so what's the problem? 
And he said, well, it's this Noah's Ark. I just can't get past that. It doesn't seem... <laughs> and, and so I said, you don't have to believe in Noah's Ark to get to heaven. Would you like to ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior? And he said, yes. And so he prayed to receive Christ right there. And then I called his daughter-in-law and his son. And I said, hey, I've got great news. Your, your dad just accepted Christ. No way. Yes, he did. Yeah, but his whole life he's been asking questions and saying that a lot of stuff in the Bible is crazy. And I said, but the stuff that pertains to his salvation is not crazy to him anymore. He gets it. And he asked Jesus to come and live in his heart. We're not saved because we know all the answers. We're saved because of a relationship with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. Frederick Buechner, a Presbyterian pastor and author, once wrote, If you don't have doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. Doubts are painful, and we want to get rid of them. We don't want to deal with doubts. And that pain motivates us to look for the answers. Doubts are good for our faith. If you think back on the doubts that you've had in the past, and you ask yourself, well, do I have those doubts now? It's like, no, I don't have those doubts now. i got the answers. I've got new doubts. Okay, good. Get new answers. I have a lot of books in my library. I still haven't gotten them out of the boxes in my office because I've had to deal with all this stuff. The reason why I have books, so many books, is not so that people will think I'm smart. Well, it's not the only reason. <laughs> the reason why I have a lot of books is because I had a lot of doubts before the Internet was created. And so I had to go and buy a book to answer every question that I had. And I had so many questions that I ended up with a lot of books. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to not have the answers. God loves doubters. In fact, in the New Testament book of Jude, which was written by Jesus' brother Jude, Jude writes, Be merciful to doubters. God loves and extends mercy to doubters. And the proof is that he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us to understand things and figure things out that are the basis of our doubts. It's okay to have doubts. Just look at how God dealt with other doubters in the Bible. For example, King David of Israel, who reigned between 1010 and 970 B.C. He struggled with some emotional doubts, and we heard some of this struggle earlier in the worship service when Psalm 42 was read. King David cries out to God saying, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Had God forgotten him? No. But he had this doubt that God had forgiven him deep inside his soul. His heart was painful. Why must I go about mourning or pressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? A thousand years later, the Apostle Paul writes about King David in Acts 13, saying, After removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He will do everything I want him to do. In the New Testament, we find John the Baptist having doubts. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to him. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in prison, about to get his head cut off. And as he was waiting for his execution to happen, he started to have doubts about Jesus, wondering if he really was the Messiah. His own cousin Jesus, the one that he had baptized, the one that he had seen the Holy Spirit descend on him, the one that he had heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The one he had prepared people to meet Jesus by baptizing them in the River Jordan. John the Baptist had, had doubts about Jesus. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus and they, to ask him, are you really the one? So they show up while Jesus is preaching. And I imagine Jesus saying, hey, John the Baptist's disciples, welcome. Hey, can, tell me how my cousin's doing. Well, he's in, he's in prison. Oh. Yeah, and the king wants to cut off his head. Oh. Is he hanging in there? Well, as a matter of fact, he sent us to come to you and ask if you really are the Messiah. And I imagine a hush came across the crowd. Like, oh my gosh, John the Baptist is doubting whether or not Jesus is the Messiah? And Jesus responds by saying, remind John about what I'm doing. Remind him about what I'm preaching. And so they take off and they go to tell John. And as they leave, the crowd's probably wondering, what does this mean? What does Jesus think about John? And he said, no greater man has been born of a woman than John the Baptist. Even when he has doubts, Jesus says, no greater man has been born of a woman than John the Baptist. Even when King David was going through those dark nights wondering where God was, the scriptures still say he was a man after God's own heart. God loves doubters. God is merciful to doubters. And God wants us to know that Jesus really is alive. And so he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us to understand. We have been called to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. 
And God is enabling us to be those witnesses by helping us with our doubts. We are not alone to figure out these questions by ourselves. And we can be witnesses of the resurrection no matter where we find ourselves in life. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org.